Uh, good evening, sisters and brothers. Please do have a seat. And uh, please could you turn with me back to page 1164 of the Church Bibles, page 1164. Uh, our epistle reading today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, page 1164. And when you've got that, can I also ask you if you'd uh, turn to the center page of your white bulletin, page 8 and 9 of your white bulletin, uh, where we have a sermon outline uh, and some diagrams from the sermon. So if you have that open there as well, that would be, that would be helpful as well. Page 1164, Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 2 to 10. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together as your people around your word this evening. And we thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through your word. And so we pray that as we look at this passage together, uh, that you would be at work among us, uh, that your spirit who gave us these words through the Apostle Paul uh, would enable me to preach them clearly and faithfully and rightly and in his strength, and that he would work in each of our hearts that we might see and trust in Jesus uh, and therefore live uh, the way uh, he wants us to. Uh, Father, we pray that you uh, would have your way among us. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever experienced the power of God? Well, what would you say to someone who might ask you that question? What would you point to in your life as, as evidence that you have? Have you experienced the power of God? Well, last week, we looked at verses uh, 15 uh, to the end of Ephesians chapter 1. And you remember that there, Paul said he prayed for the Ephesians believers that they would know God's power. He explained in verses 19 and 20 uh, how, how God exercised that great power when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? From being a lifeless corpse on Friday afternoon to being raised up on Sunday morning, that's pretty great power. Power, as we saw, beyond anything that we can imagine in the 21st century. But verse 20 tells us it's not all that. If you look at verse 20, it says, He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Jesus is given the right to rule, not only the physical universe, but every spiritual being as well, so that one day He's dead, the next day He's the most authoritative and formidable and supreme being, not only in the world, but in the unseen spiritual world, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And it is God's power that moved him from one state to the next. And Paul prayed, back in verse 19 of Ephesians 1, that the Ephesian Christians would know that power. That power, he said, in verse 19, toward us who believe. Have you been touched by that power? Do you know that power in your life? 
Paul was convinced that that power was at work in his life and in the lives of those who believe. And he showed us by telling us what that power has done. And in our passage today, he tells us what we were like before and what we're like after God has exercised that power in our lives. Uh, you can see it on the chart in your handouts. You can follow it on the screen. It's coming up in a moment. On the left-hand side, that was the before in sin. On the right-hand side, you'll see it's the after, when we are in Christ. And God's power is the one that takes us from one to the other. Paul starts with the before. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Remember just now? Jesus was physically dead. But here it says you were spiritually dead. And that is just as hopeless. You are on the left-hand side of the box, in the realm of sin, dead to God, without a genuine relationship with Him, and completely unable to do anything about it. Now, being dead in sin doesn't mean we weren't active. Oh, we were, but in the wrong kind of way. Lah. In verse 2, it says, in which we were, we were walking in sin, following the course of this world. You see, the world has got an agenda, the world has got the, a way of acting, a way of working, right? And he just, he just followed it. Right? That way might be, look different in different subcultures, but it's always seeking something apart from, from, from loving God and glorifying Jesus. And we were just kind of like following the way of the world, just like everyone else. And when we were following the world, actually, without even realizing that we were following the one the world was following. Verse 2 continues. The prince, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we were following the devil. We were all following the devil in his rebellion against God. We were led astray by him in his trickery and deceit. We didn't think of ourselves as satanic or anything like that. We're pretty decent people. But that's where the trickery comes in, isn't it? When we were in rebellion against God, we were actually doing what He wanted. And it was only natural for us to do that, actually, because it actually resonated with our own fallen nature. Because, you see, ever since Adam and Eve fell, we've been born in the left-hand side of the box. Our natural inclination is to sin. We do it automatically. You don't have to teach a kid to sin. If he's your child, he will sin just like you do. And when we were in sin, we just followed Allah, those impulses. And so in verse 3, it says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were sinful by nature, therefore had sinful desires, and we just naturally sinned. But sin is inherently bad. Sin deserves its just punishment. And because of what we are, inherently sinful, and because we put our sinful nature into practice every day, we, we inherently deserve God's condemnation. And friends, we by nature, in and of ourselves, like everyone else, are facing that judgment at the end of the age. Or as the end of verse 3 puts it, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not a very 
pretty picture, is it? That's, that may not be how we saw ourselves because we like to compare ourselves with other people. The problem is other people are also in the same mess. Right, it's okay to be the average student in your class, but if your class in school is so academically poor that everyone is heading to fail the SPM exam, the fact that you're the average student in your class is actually no consolation. You're still going to fail the exam. And friends, humankind is in rebellion against God. Humankind is following the ways of the evil one. Humankind is heading for God's wrath on the coming day of judgment. And being normal is no consolation. That is the terrible state we were all in. And we could do nothing about it. Sick people can call a doctor. Sick people can take their medicine. Sick people can do their bit to get themselves better. Dead people can't do anything at all. It would take a miracle to raise a dead person up again. A miracle they can't even help with. We were dead in sin. And now, my friends, look at the beginning of verse 4. Because there we see two little words that change everything. What does it say? But God. But God. We could not save ourselves from this mess. But God acted to save us. And why? Well, verse 4 tells us, because of the great love with which He loved us. Brothers and sisters, God loves us with a great, big, huge, overflowing love. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And because of that great love with which He loved us, He was rich, plenteous, lavish in mercy towards us. Not giving us what we deserve, but actually saving us from it. And so it says in verse 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There's the miracle. That power that was at work to raise Christ from the dead and seat Him at the right hand of God in heaven, that power was at work in us as well. Jesus was dead. God, by His power, made Him alive. We were dead. God, by His power, made us alive with Christ. And so now, now we have a relationship with God. Now we have a spiritual life that's not just a product of our imaginations. We were dead, now we are alive, together it says, with Christ. The phrase translated together, made us alive together with us, is actually one word that means exactly that. You, you come alive together with someone. Right? God made us alive, not by ourselves, but in union with Christ. But when we trust in Jesus, God unites us spiritually with Him. In other places in the Bible, we read about union with Christ and His death. When, when we're in union with Christ, His death is considered our death. The punishment He bore on the cross was for our sin. He brought it to completion. But here in this passage, it talks about our participation in Christ's resurrection. God made us alive with Christ, and it's in Him 
that we have this new life, this, this spiritual resurrection, if you like, as we wait for the physical resurrection at the end of the age. And that is why it says at the end of verse 5, that it is by grace you have been saved. Grace means God treating us far, far better than we deserve. Grace means unmerited favor. We deserve God's punishment, but instead, God gave us forgiveness and He gave us a new life in Christ. But even that is not the end of the story. For our union with Christ was not only in His resurrection, but in His exaltation as well. Look at verse 6. He raised us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is where we belong. Of course, physically we are still here, lah, in KL, Datara Madeka. Still struggling with sin, still suffering. But spiritually, oh, spiritually we are with Christ in heaven. We are reigning with Him. That is our position. Now, if we are seated in Christ in heaven spiritually, then we are no longer under the rulers of this world, the spiritual forces of evil. How can we be? We have been seated with the one who is far above every rule and authority and power in this age and in the age to come. We do not need to follow them anymore. And we do not need to fear them anymore. I still meet many Christians who live in fear of the forces of evil. Yes, we have to fight them, and we'll read about that in chapter 6. But we're not to worry about them. They have no hold on us. If you are in Christ, not only are you alive in Him, you're actually seated with Him, far above them. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That is God's power. But there's more. Remember our future when we're in the left-hand side of that, of, of that table. We were heading for God's wrath. But now we have a different future. Because the reason God raises up with Christ in verse 7 is that so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God's plan is that for eternity we will enjoy the riches of His grace. That we will enjoy being with Him. God's plan is that one day the sin and the suffering and sickness and pain and toil and frustration that we face in, in this age will be no longer. That we who have been spiritually raised with Christ will be physically raised in our new bodies. We who have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places will indeed be glorified with Him. And forever we will continue to grow in our love and appreciation of Him and His grace. And learn more and more to enjoy the depths of His love and His grace towards us. And for all eternity, we will continue to wonder how mind-blowingly kind He is towards us in Christ Jesus. And we ourselves will be the forever living evidence that God is compassionate and generous and good to the undeserving. And forever we will live to the praise of His glorious grace.
And friends, when we stand in eternity in glory, we won't be saying, oh, I made it here because I'm so good, because I was so smart, because I'm better than someone else. No, 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 no. It will all be because of him. And he will get all the glory he so richly deserves. So we've seen so far that God in his grace and by his power has moved us from that left column to the right column, from being dead to sin to being in Christ, from heading for wrath to heading for glory. And that going from the left side to that right side is, well, that's not something we achieved. But it's something that we will thank God for forever. It is not our effort that brings us across. Paul explains this in verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now we've already seen that grace is God's unmerited favor. Uh, God treating us far better than we deserve. Uh, and so the basis of our salvation is in Him. It's what He has done. He has given His Son to die for us. He has chosen us and brought us to Himself. That is God's grace. And the way that comes to apply to us is faith. Uh, faith means trust, reliance, belief. Uh, it's more than intellectual assent. It's more than just saying, yeah, 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 I believe this is true. It's, it's putting your trust, your confidence, your, your commitment into that object of your faith from the heart. Right? So faith in Christ means believing that He is the Lord whom God has raised from the dead. It means trusting Him personally as your master, uh, relying on Him to save you. That is faith. A year or two ago, my wife and children took me rock climbing at Camp 5 in Wanutama. Anyone being rock climbing indoor? Yes, thank you, Sam. Anyone else? Okay, let me tell you about rock climbing. It's not actually rock climbing. It's wall climbing. As you, you climb up the wall, actually it's very high. Uh, you climb these walls by climbing on these little colored things that stick up from the walls. And it would be very dangerous, except for the fact that you're in a harness with a rope that goes all the way to the top. Now, for me, the best part is not actually climbing the wall. Right? It's when you get to the top. Because when you get to the top, then what you do is you let go with all your weight on the rope. But you don't just hang there. What happens is you, you come down slowly as either your partner belays you down or the automatic machine kind of lowers you down to the ground. Now, the grace of God in Jesus Christ is like that rope. Right? It is the basis of our salvation. That rope at Camp 5 was perfectly strong and secure. Jesus is perfectly able to save us. Faith means trusting in that rope. It's not just saying, yeah, yeah, I believe that rope is strong enough to hold someone up. It's actually putting your life on the line by saying, I believe this rope is strong enough to hold me and entrusting my weight to the rope. It's a commitment. And the Bible says in verse 8 that by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you're saved through faith. So there are two things left. 
for salvation, grace and faith. But we mustn't think that therefore we can share the credit for our salvation with God, you know. He supplies the grace, we supply the faith, so we work together, it's 50-50, and we get saved. You know why? Because Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Right? The word this there refers to that whole complex of salvation, the whole package of being saved by grace through faith. The whole thing is actually a gift. If it were not for the sacrifice of God the Son, we would not receive grace. And if it were not for the work of God the Holy Spirit, we would not have faith. And God the Father is behind them both. And so actually this whole package of being saved by grace through faith is a gift of the triune God. It is God's gift, not our achievement. And so once again from verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So no one can boast. Some people think we are saved by doing good works. That is, if I do enough good things to make up for the bad things, right? it's a bit like a dutching, huh? Uh, you, know, you just balance like which one's got more, right? Do enough good things to outweigh the bad things and I'll be okay. In other words, works lead to salvation. Other people say, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not enough, right? You have to be saved by a combination of faith and works. You, you trust in Jesus first and then you do all these things. And so it's faith plus works leading to salvation. But the Bible says, that both those things are wrong. You're going to press again, Olivia? Yep. Okay. And then one more time. Ta-da! It's wrong. See? Okay. Both those things are wrong. All right. The Bible says in verse 8 and 9, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So no one may boast. Right? Good works do not contribute to our salvation. Whether we are baptized or confirmed or go to church on Sunday or go to Bible study or pray or give money for ministry or help the poor or care for our neighbors, evangelize the lost, we help out in church and serve, none of those things contribute towards our salvation. They're good things to do, but they don't contribute to our being saved. Because if they did, then that would spoil grace, wouldn't it? We could boast about them and take the glory away from God for our salvation. It is not a result of work so that no one can boast. So, where do works come in then? Surely all those things we said just now are good things to do. And yes, of course they are. The whole purpose of the change is so that we should be doing these things. That is, God saved us from sin. He made us alive in Christ. He set us above the principalities and powers. Not so that we can go and follow the world, the flesh, and the devil again. No. He saved us so that we could follow Him. That we could serve Him. That we could do His will. He saved us for good works. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Right? So if you go away from this sermon saying, oh, good works are important, then you haven't been listening to the sermon. Good works are very important. You are saved so that you would do them. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved for good works. God has a whole lot of good works he wants you to do. He planned for it, it says, long ago. Just as he predestined you for salvation, he predestined you for the good works that come from it. So please get along with it. Lah. So here are the implications. If we have experienced the resurrection power of God, then we have had the biggest change in our status. And a change in status demands a change in the way we live. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, well, get baptized. That's a good work that God's prepared for you to do. It's God's plan for you. If you're a Christian, you don't do anything at all for the poor. Do something. But the least you can do is be generous with your money and give to reputable ministries who might serve them. It's not going to contribute to your salvation, but that's God's plan for you. If you're not involved in a local church, well, get involved. Make a commitment to be part of the gathering of God's people. And don't just turn up. Look for ways to serve your brothers and sisters. It doesn't contribute to your salvation, but that's, that's God's plan for you. All these things are good works which God has prepared for us to walk in. We're going to see many more of them in the second half of the book of Ephesians in a couple of weeks. Uh, we will see that we need to love one another. To learn humility and gentleness and patience. To work hard to build the church. To, to get rid of lies and dishonesty and bitterness and anger. To, to have nothing to do with sexual immorality or greed. Uh, to honor God in the way we relate to family members. To pray for the spread of the gospel. We've got to do all these things and more. That's what we were created for in this, this new creation. God saved us so that we would be His people and express it in the way we live. And if we are truly Christian, if we are truly saved then we will start walking, we will start living in this way. But don't get the cart before the horse. Good works are the product of salvation. They are the evidence of salvation. They are the symptom of salvation. They are the purpose of salvation. They are the result of salvation. They're not the cause of salvation. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So friends, let me ask you again. Have you experienced the power of God? You don't experience the power of God by feeling something. A lot of people think that, but actually, you look at the Bible, you don't see that at all. You don't experience the power of God by seeing something or even by doing something. You experience the power of God by faith. God's power is manifest when you simply put your trust in the Lord Jesus who died for you. And God raises you from death to life and he changes the direction of your life and he transforms your eternal future that is the power of God 
If that has not yet happened to you, then can I urge you, put your faith in Jesus today. Rely on Him and Him alone for your salvation. And ask Him as your risen Master to enable you to do all those good things which He prepared beforehand for you to do. And if you are someone here tonight who has a genuine faith in Jesus, who died for you and rose again, then know for certain that God's power is at work in your life. You were dead. He made you alive. He seated you with Christ. He's changed your future from everlasting wrath to everlasting grace. And now you are seeking to live not for the world, the flesh, and the devil, but to do the good works He has prepared for you. If that is you, then you have experienced the power of God in your life. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But it wasn't from you. It was from Him. And what you need to do is say thank you and live out your purpose to do the good works that He has prepared beforehand that you should walk in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love with which you love us. Thank you so much for that. And thank you that because of that great love, you have been rich in mercy to us, the undeserving. That you have taken us from being dead in trespasses and sins, and you have made us alive in Christ. You've seated us with him in the heavenly places. You've changed the direction of our lives, and you've, you've given us a future in glory with you forever. So through all eternity, we will wonder at the wonderful grace you've shown us and continue to show us in Jesus. Thank you so much. We know that all this is by your grace, not our own doing. We thank you for this gift. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us now to do those good works which you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we might love you as you have loved us and glorify you in our lives. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.